knowing what the coach wants, knowing what the GM wants, knowing what the owner wants, it all kind of dovetails. So the, the big thing with Ever right now is they want compete and speed and the kids got to work. They, it doesn't matter how big they are, like I said, but if you come to play, you'll play forever. That was senior scout for the Everett Silvertips, Brian Leavold, and you are listening to the Up My Hockey podcast with Jason Padola. Just watch me now. Welcome to Up My Hockey with Jason Podolan, where we deconstruct the NHL journey, discuss what it takes to make it, and have a few laughs along the way. I'm your host, Jason Podolan, a 31st overall draft pick who played 41 NHL games, but thought he was destined for a thousand. Learn from my story and those of my guests. This is a hockey podcast about reaching your potential. Hello there and welcome back or welcome to the Up My Hockey podcast with Jason Podolan. I am your host, Jason Podolan. And today we are speaking with Brian Levold. Brian Levold is a senior scout for the Everett Silvertips of the WHL. He has been scouting for years, uh, decades in fact, uh, was also with the Swift Current Broncos and the, drawing a blank here, oh, Saskatoon Blades, most recently the Saskatoon Blades and was just picked up by the Everett Silvertips. Um, Brian has a long, long history with hockey. He was a, was a hockey player himself. He was a hockey coach, started at a young age, which he talks about here in the interview. Was also a hockey parent uh, to Brady, who ended up uh, signing an AHL deal with the Tampa Bay Lightning after a WHL career. Uh, Brady Liebold is a past guest on the program, founder of Puck Support. Uh, his story is absolutely incredible. Uh, and you know, incredible in such a way that like heartbreaking, heart-wrenching, uh, unbelievable, uh, rise from the ashes type of type of story that uh, that was told here on on this podcast. And by all means, go back and listen to, to that episode with Brady and to have Brian on Brady's dad to uh, to reflect on that time and to, and to share Brady's story a little bit here towards the end of the interview. That was uh, definitely something that I wanted to talk about because, uh, you know, B Brian is a hockey dad, is a hockey scout, uh, is a hockey uh, enthusiast and, and, and kind of checks a lot of boxes as far as what uh, uh, a guest here on, on the podcast can be. So we get into Brady's story. We get into, uh, you know, the lessons learned from that. Uh, we talk about uh, what what Brian is looking for, how they identify players. We talk about uh, the Everett Silvertips approach to uh, to identification and to player development. Uh, we get into talking about parents uh, and what what impact they can have on the game and and have on the player's actual opportunity to play the game, sometimes negatively. And, uh, and yeah, we also talked about the Up My Hockey Tournament, which, uh, which was my UMH 68, which was, was just passed last weekend. It was an idea that, uh, that I got leaving the BC Provincial Tournament here in, on the west coast of, of Canada. The BC Hockey at the minor bantam level introduces uh, players that are within their program to the opportunity to participate in the program of excellence, it's called, where they identify the, the, the top minor bantam age players so this year was the 2009 group and they get them into uh for those that make it they get them into this one big event uh where about 140 of the best players in the province come to compete and i just recognize that there was uh you know the private players aren't aren't able to to play in that because they're they play in unsanctioned leagues and bc hockey doesn't recognize those leagues so they weren't able to attend 
And then there's also like lots of players on the ice. Like I said, there's 140 players there. It turned out to be eight teams. And I just figured that, you know what? These private players should have an opportunity to be represented. And I think that there should be one more step here where we can uh, kind of create a best-on-best -best environment, uh, provide an unbelievable development experience, provide an unbelievable hockey experience for these players, and uh, and also for the parents. And, and I had the concept of let's let's do this let's try and do a umh 68 so in up my hockey 68 the 68 was going to represent four teams of 17 players and uh i had that idea like now probably like 40 days ago and uh and we just executed the event so it went from zero to uh to execution in 32 days uh, Brian was there for the opening day and he was at my head table and he wanted to see the players that were on the ice. He was there in a scouting capacity, but I asked him if he would be willing to, to address the players and the parents just about, you know, what a scout is looking for and, and maybe how to prepare for the next season. And, uh, and he did a, just an absolutely fantastic job with, with the players and, 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 uh, and the parents and made quite an impact with what he had to say. And, um, and the event went off with, with without a hitch. It was it was so awesome to see the players, the compete level, the the quality of, of play on the ice, uh, and also the messaging away from the ice. You know, we we had Mike Barnett come in and speak. Brian Levold spoke. Uh, the the three coaches that were there. I had uh, Jared Smithson, six hundred game NHLer. I had Mark Ferner, who's a hundred game NHLer and a two time uh, national champion at the BCHL level coach. Uh, speak. Tyler Shattuck was there representing the Salmon Arm Silverbacks, head coach of the Salmon Arm Silverbacks. He was a head coach for these players. And, and the messaging throughout the week was, was exactly up my hockey style. It was, yes, we love hockey. Yes, we want to be great players. But you also need to work on your personal development skills, your human skills, in order to be the best hockey player you can be, in order to make the biggest impact that you want to make. Um, so trying to arm these players with this holistic idea of development and, and what it means to be a hockey player and the gratitude that should be involved in that, not only from the aspect of being able to play the game, but also in the aspect of even being at an event such as the UMH 68. And uh, we were able to do some really special things there. You know, I know from being a player myself and being that age like what was what was special or what would make you unique experience what would make make me have a memorable experience so uh one of the things that i decided to do was uh i got a i got essentially like a professional style table set up in the locker rooms for these players they were able to have their locker room for the entire weekend so we gave them stalls we had name plates there their jersey was personalized and, uh, and in the locker room, they had their own BioSteel jug, you know, sponsored by BioSteel. Thank you to BioSteel for that. And, uh, and with their cups, you know, so they were able to get juice whenever they wanted to. They had laces there. They had tape there to use at their disposal. You know, it's, uh, I think it was 20 rolls of black, white, and plastic that, were t that was team tape. And uh, there, was, there was groceries that were sponsored by a local organic grocer in the name of Nature's Fair. So they had apples, oranges, and bananas available to them at all times. They had cliff bars available to them whenever they wanted. They had sweat towels on the table. Um, you know, just those small little details that when you walk into a room and they're like, oh my gosh, we're getting treated like pros. Uh, it was it was really awesome to see the smiles on the, on the kids' faces and uh, and you know I, I do believe that you're part of part of having a good culture and part of uh, creating a really positive environment is to provide that environment to be able to create a standard that is elevated 
so that these kids can step into that uh, opportunity to elevate their own standards, to treat the room with more respect, to to treat those those items there, uh, you know, with, with a level of professionalism. And uh, we also had team ambassadors in the rooms that were there to kind of look after the players and look after the room and help them with their skates or to help them with equipment. And these were volunteer positions that was fantastic, you know, really took care of the kids. And um, what else did we, we had a player banquet uh, where we fed them all the, the, the first night there. And, and I had a guest speaker in by the name of Aaron Volpatti. Uh, has a book out called Fighter. His story is is really really special, and is and is now teaching others how to use visualization to reach their their highest potential. And and uh, so he told his his story. We handed out some books and raffle prizes. And anyways, by all accounts, it was a, it was just a fantastic weekend. Lots of happy parents, lots of happy players. And and uh, as far as from the up my hockey brand and franchise is concerned, you know, I mean this is something that we're definitely going to continue on with the 2010s next year here in British Columbia, and maybe even expand into uh, into Western Canada because I do think that there's a big opportunity there for that age group in particular and also for the younger age groups the 20 uh, next year would be the 2011s and the 2010s because there's nothing really available like that at the uh, at the peewee level the u13 level and um, and I think that there is a there is a need for it when it comes to uh, the HPL players and also the BC hockey players. They don't have an opportunity to compete against each other during during the season. So to be able to pick uh, the, the the top players from from all leagues and from all areas and and give them an invitation to come down and and to really have an amazing developmental experience and a, and a great hockey experience uh, that grows the community of hockey is uh, is something that I'm really proud of. And it was and it's right in line with the messaging about my hockey uh the philosophy of what it means to be a hockey player and what it means to be a great hockey player and to be your best as a hockey player uh we're all spoken to there at, at the uh, umh 68 and and it introduced them all to the uh to what mindset can do for for an athlete and and, and how it can help in their development so um back to brian i mean he was he was a really critical piece of that and and it just goes to show what what these guys, what these hockey people are, are, are like, you know, that they are willing to give back, that he's willing to show up uh, before the games even start, you know, five hours before to, to address, uh, to address a parent group and a, and a player group, because they, they want these guys to have a great experience and they want these guys to have the opportunity to be the best that they can be. And, uh, you know, Brian to do that as a volunteer and to show up really tells you a little bit what he's made of, especially when we essentially had zero relationship prior to that. I just knew that uh, Everett was going to send out scouts to to my event and Brian was going to be one of the ones that was coming and uh, ended up uh, chatting with him th through email. And he said, yeah, I'd love to address the kids. So thank you again, Brian, for doing that. And uh and I guess that's a, that's a thorough enough introduction for, for Mr. Leifold here. I know you're going to enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, I bring you the senior scout for the Everett Silvertips, Mr. Brian Leifold. Maybe we should just start just a little bit with you because uh, I don't know a, a ton. I know that you've been in the game for a long time and I know that you're working with Everett now. Uh, but how do, like, what was your introduction to, uh, to hockey? Uh, well, of course. Uh, well, I'll start off with what I tell everybody, those that can't play coach and those that can't coach anymore scouts. So I don't know what I'm going to do next year, but um, obviously I played and uh, had a little sniff at the junior A level, but never really advanced for that. So I started coaching really young. Uh, I think I was 18 or 19 and uh, coached for a long time, long time before I had my own kids. And then obviously I coached Brady up until it was time to to cut the cord there and let him play for somebody else. But back then in uh, communities, it usually was the, the dads that coached. And yeah. 
and all volunteered their time. But I was a firefighter for 35 years in North Vancouver, involved in union executive there and the provincial board. But as far as getting into scouting, I was coaching uh, in the Chilliwack Bantam tournament and um, a fellow, um, actually the chief of police of Edmonton, who was scout, the head scout for Swift Current at the time, he was actually watching some kids on my team and he asked me if I had time to do this and he knew I worked shift work and I could probably trade days and I thought it would be something to try. So I was I was there from the ninth, as I said the other morning, uh, the, my first draft was in 1985s and now we're coming up to the 2009. So I was with Swift Current for up until um, we won the league championship and went to the Memorial Cup. And all the coaches got promoted to the, some went to the NHL, some went to the American League, and the GM went to Edmonton. So the fellow they brought in lied to me on day one. So I said, thanks, but no thanks. And I moved on. And then I moved on to Saskatoon, which was a great four years. And the, some of the kids there that uh, Saskatoon had a really good year this year with some of the kids that we were fortunate to draft and bring in and trade for. And some will be drafted this weekend in the NHL. So uh, we agreed to disagree at the end. Uh, I still don't know why, but uh, I wasn't out of work long because Everett called and um, some other teams called. And um, I was real happy to get involved with Everett because uh, one of the young young guys when I was in Swift Current is now the associate GM in Everett. So he came reaching out for me. And uh, it's been a great relationship. Dennis Williams, the world junior coach, is the GM and head coach there. And the staff is really good. And they, and they want to win. And I like the way that the style they play. And they're not afraid to use the small players. Like I was a little bit of, in shock at first. But the way they play is good and fun to watch. Right. So with that, with the pedigree of being around and around the game and, you know, the, the introduction there, whatever it was 20 years ago now, um maybe 30 actually uh <laughs> not quite what? but getting there i'm old <laughs> yeah. but not that old right uh they like what what establishes you as as a scout you I mean that's always kind of interested interested me right like you you, you know you got to do the work i i, I assume you got to be there you got to show up and you have to be able to identify talent but it, it's sort of one of those uh like there's no school for it i guess you know what i mean there's no like okay i have my certification i can come be a scout now um like how do you how do you keep uh being relevant and how do you how do people know that you're good at it well i think uh they look at your past performance of drafts or invites or trades you've been involved in but you do have to go to the rink that's the simple thing is uh there are some long days and long weekends and you know you go to regina and they'll have 32 teams and you're there for three days so you're you're not getting a great look at everybody but just a a peek at everybody and then you got to make sure you're, you follow up on what you see and um i think if you do the work there actually are some courses now and books around um but uh, I've never been, <laughs> never been one to take it. And, uh, but they, they seem interesting. They're more aligned on the analytics. And for me, that doesn't work at the bandom level for me, like, because sometimes mom and dad are keeping the stats. And so it's, uh, it's, it's a tainted, tainted tool and for me at that level. Maybe at the Western League when I'm doing Western League guys, but 
or BC Junior, wherever they end up now. But yeah, it's uh, it's mainly do the work. Know what the like uh, the three teams that I've worked for all wanted different guys. So knowing what the coach wants, knowing what the GM wants, knowing what the owner wants, it all kind of dovetails. So uh, the the big thing with Ever right now is they want compete and speed, and the kids got to work. They, it doesn't matter how big they are, like I said, but if you come to play, you'll play forever. That's awesome. I love that you use that word uh... – compete uh that's that's what i that's what i named my spring program the, the up my hockey compete so uh we have two bulls that are like uh colliding uh on, on the logo and uh it's it's been a really it's been like a foundational piece really of, of my coaching whether it be on the ice or my mindset coaching because i do think that uh that there's a mental aspect to compete that can be improved and can be increased uh, and I also see it as being a massive competitive advantage right now in just today's marketplace. I'll call it that, right? Like in the arenas, like I think that players can impact every shift with a high level of compete, uh, just kind of the way the game's being played. Do, do you see that now as well? Like the, as far as that that competitive, and when I say that, like I mean like not necessarily running somebody over, although that would be fine too, but like that that grit in the areas, the hard areas, the one-on-one battles, like the the little extra on the back check. Like I think that, that that is a place where these players can really stand out. Um, and all it is, 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 a uh, is a decision really. Yeah. If they come out early in their shift and they do something and they do nothing else, well, I don't really have a much time for them. Like they, they've got to work hard for their 30 to 45 seconds. They're all maybe in Bantam. They're out there for a minute and a half sometimes, but um, they got to be doing something either um, picking a guy up, fighting for the puck, making a play, Hard on the back check, like you said, boxing out the, for the goalie, making sure he can see, and and just just work hard the whole time they're all out there. And as I touched on the other morning, body language is key for me too. Like if you had a breakaway and you missed and you're banging your stick and you're dragging your butt back to the bench, well, why not go get the puck again and set somebody else up or try and do it again? You're not going to score every time, and the goalies aren't going to make saves every time. So if the goalie's got bad but body language too. That that enters into into our rating system. The uh, when it comes to that, I mean the identification, and that's one question that gets asked me all the time. Uh, you know how how do I stand out, or what are what are scouts looking for? And I think that they're kind of one and the same. I, I assume, and and correct me if I'm wrong. Like when you go to a rink, maybe at the start of the year, you might have a few people that have been identified already maybe like okay these are potential drafts but you're also watching you know a game with 30 kids out there you know and 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 in that context it's like who is going to catch your eye because you can't watch everybody at once you I mean that's just the that's just the idea of how it goes and so when I'm talking to the players I'm like yeah I mean like not everybody you're not going to notice uh I mean how do I put this like the goals and the assists is what usually guys like really get focused on. But a lot of times, like you might be looking down, maybe you don't, if that's the only thing you did is like score a goal from the slot or on a deflection, like that might not mean anything, but it might mean a lot to the kid. Right. And that's why I try and talk about the intangibles about the in-between times and also the times like every shift, how do you kind of make a difference? So uh, on, on the heels of that, like, can you, can you expand on that? Like when you're sitting there at a rank, how, how you would notice somebody? Well, again, I touched on it the other morning. It starts for me, especially in a tournament, excuse me, when uh, kids are checking in, they're all coming in as a group, who's helping carry stuff, who's, uh, who's mom and dad are carrying their bags for them, 
<laughs> who's uh, helping the trainers in the warm up? Who's actually warming up? Not jacking around, seeing how many pucks they can catch on their stick. Working on to be ready for the game. Um, yes, um, like I'm, it's the 2009 draft year this year, but there'll be 2010s on the on the team. And um, if there is a 2010 that catches my eye, I'll mark them as a as a identify to watch next year. I uh, won't spend a lot of time on the underage, but do identify them and do a couple reports. But so I will have a a pretty thorough list of kids who at least played a uh, high level last year. And there's always the, the outliers that come in who've grown and developed and who is this kid? How come I never saw him last year? And then you look and oh, you did see him, but he was, he was four foot 11 and now he's five foot 11 or whatever. Like yeah. it's just, so yeah, the warm up's important, body language, um, how they conduct themselves on the bench when the coach is talking to them. Are they listening or are they just blowing them off or are they, you know, banging their stick or are they talking to their wingers or defense partners or, you know, even the backup goalie, what's he doing to, to stay in the game? So, because he might be the, the one you're there to watch, but he's not playing. So, right. So, yeah, no, it's, 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 it's hard in the tournaments. Like you said, there's two teams, you know, and there's, especially now when they're all in uh, like U15s, most of the kids are all the same age. So you do have 30 kids to watch. Um, you will rely on your notes from, last year but you're going to find new ones every game and um some kids kids aren't going to perform well every game they just can't they're not and some kids will step it up that you've never seen before so you got to get go to bat for them too that's a great that's a great point there just talking about the consistency aspect and how how important that is or i mean i, I guess or isn't you know I, I at the at the professional level i know how critical it was right and that was one of the things that that uh, sometimes coaches got on me about that I'd have a good run and then maybe get a little bit comfortable and then you have a few stinkers, right? And and uh, or average games even, right? And that's no one's looking for average. You're looking to make a difference. And um, how how is that? Because when I'm talking with my players, it is like it's awesome to feel good about yourself and have some success. But I mean, if 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 Brian Level shows up the next game, maybe there's a little bit of buzz and you lay an egg and then he sees you again and you lay an egg. Like how many times is he going to watch you? Like you never know when, when the guy's going to be there. So elevating that, that consistency is, is, is pretty important. How much leeway do you give these kids at, uh, at these younger ages? Uh, a lot because sometimes they're playing three or four games in a weekend or more if they go to the finals and some, if the, the, the kids that play hard, like they could be beat up by day two, just the way they play. Um, no, I don't write anybody off. We don't like I watch some of your your games on the weekend, but we're not drafting for eleven months. Those kids, so there's a long time, and there will be somebody in every rink these kids play in. Not necessarily me, but you know I have uh, four or five other guys in the province here just from Everett and um, yeah, so uh, the, most of the teams in the Western League are, are the same. So there'll, there'll be somebody at every game, even on a Tuesday night in Rutland or wherever, like it, it, there'll be guys there for sure. Right. Yeah, I mean, there is a lot of coverage now for sure. It's uh, it's, it's picked up, I think, from from my time. That that, that That's that's for sure. Uh, in, inside hockey here, and, and I could be wrong with this, but um, the way the showcases are set up, especially at the CSSHL level, uh, when you have the teams in, or even let's just say a tournament, Let, let's say that that's maybe a better example. So you have the round robin, you know, everyone's playing. And then by the weekend, you I mean, you've separated it. Now you're down to two, three, four teams. Uh, 
at the CSSHL playoffs, I went to the U15 prep game and I mean, the rink was packed with scouts, right? I mean, there was, it was full, uh, at tournaments, it seems to me like there's not as many people there. And to me, that makes a little more sense because you, you know, you can watch everybody early and maybe you're not going to stay there for the whole event. So some guys might leave by the finals, uh, for my son, like when I was talking to him, I'm like, don't underestimate the value of being good early, right? Like, you know, like you want to, you want to show up and be on point and yeah, you want to perform in the big games and the big moments. And there's going to be somebody there too, but like the, the, to have that, that shock value early on at a tournament is pretty beneficial for these guys, I think. Yeah. Like for sure. We're there for like most, I mean, this is how I do it. I'm there for the opening. And in all honesty, we try to go home Saturday night late. Um, one, because um, it saves the club money flights are cheaper on Saturdays. Um, but by the time Sunday comes around, if it's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, like I said, some of the kids are beat up. Um, most games are online, so I can watch the games that I missed. Yep. If, you know, somebody stepped it up when I look at the stats and, oh, I should have stayed for that. But um, you're also on the way to somewhere else. Like there's sometimes there's two, three showcases of different caliber every weekend. So it can only be so many places at one time. So if I could, let's say I'm in Calgary and I can come back and go to a, something in Abbotsford uh, and see like Sunday, or if it's a holiday weekend, Sunday, Monday, then yeah, that's why I would leave Saturday. It's not that we don't want to see the kids Sunday, but there's usually something else. And it comes down to dollars and cents that they need to pay a hotel and a meal and I can just come home. And it's, it's good to get home after you've been somewhere for three or four days every week for the whole season yeah i believe it uh definitely you need to love the sport doing what you guys do it's a lot of arenas you know it's a lot of a lot of kids a lot of a lot of people watching so you guys obviously have a passion for what you do and i can see where the passion comes from though it's exciting to watch these guys you know move on i mean even i'm not a scout but like watching the older groups i mean the 07s the 08s that have come through the okanagan and and to see how they develop and you know and for me i guess being a part of their development some of them right that i've worked with here on the ice it's uh you get attached to them, right? And you start rooting for them. Uh, I, I assume it's no different as a, as a scout. I mean, you said you were in, in uh, Saskatoon there for a while. Uh, you, you must you must be a little bit in in you know endeared to some of these guys that you drafted, and and, and you see you see how they're how they're moving on. Yeah, it's it's pretty exciting because some of the kids you went to bat for and you really had to pound the table for, and you know, um, good examples: Tanner Molendike, kid from outside of Kamloops, there played at Yale, um, really had to pound the table to get him. And I know Saskatoon loved him once once he's developed there. So he should go somewhere in the first or second round, I would think. And that's exciting for him. And um, I had some other kids, like draft day, sometimes they phone you and go, hey, thanks a lot for when I was 13, you started watching me, and 14, you pounded the table. And then, uh, hey, maybe I'll turn out. So, yeah, it's it's fun to watch and um, it's fun to, to kibitz with the other scouts. Like some of my best friends are scouts, like that still the, the Swift current guys, there was 12 of us and we're still really close. Like they're, they're all retired cops and firemen too. So it, it's, it's not, it's as close as we can get to playing in the locker room is just when we're having coffee and stuff around right. before and after the games. That's awesome. I was going to ask you, is, is that roughly, uh, my son actually asked me that the other day. He asked me how many, how many scouts would be, would be on 
a staff for a WHL team. And I said, I had no idea. I said, probably there'd be some volunteer guys, I would assume. And as far as payroll, I, I said maybe three to six. And I was just guessing, is, is, uh, is there a standard? Uh, I don't know if there's a standard. I would think this day and age, most guys are getting paid something um, as far as uh, at least expenses, but I'm sure they're getting a, a monthly stipend of some, but yeah, there are, Maybe when they first start out, they be they volunteer, but I haven't really experienced that. But I've heard that. But uh, everywhere I, uh, yeah, I was paid day one in Swift Current, so right. not a lot. <laughs> yeah, but how many guys would they carry? Like, how many guys are are talking about players going into a draft? Uh, it's been different the last few years because they've been Zoom meetings. Um, when I was in. Uh, this was my first draft with Everett this year, so I did go down to Everett, and um, they have three senior scouts, and and then uh, I'm trying to think, probably three or four in each province. So let's say ten or twelve other guys. So they would be on Zoom, and then the, the rest of us were in um, Everett. So there was four of us down for the draft, and yeah, is Saskatoon was was good. They would bring everybody in like the whole staff for two days and yeah. kind of not as a reward, but like, you know, feed you a nice meal and um, look after you at the draft. But yeah, no, uh, they value everybody's input. Even the, the, the guys that don't get to come to the draft now, it, another thing it was cost savings. It was always in Calgary. Then it moved to Red Deer and Red Deer was just crazy to get to because you got to either go to Calgary or Edmonton and yeah. you were there an extra day before or after. So and it was always right after Alberta Cup. So do you come home for two days or three days and then go back or do you stay? So right. um, the Zoom I like and like just being down in the, well, we did it in the dressing room, but um, you can talk freely better because you're not not a table here and a table here, the other team and people can see your laptops and not that cheating goes on, but like if you're, you know, you're thinking, three picks down the road and they, oh, well, we want Jason. And they go, oh, they're going to take Jason. We better take Jason. So Right, yeah. So, yeah. <clears throat> so going back to Tanner, uh, so I actually was, I was able to watch watch him uh, a few times that, that in his draft year. And I don't think there was much argument that he was a hell of a talent, right? So when you're mm -hmm. saying he had to pound the table, was it just because of how high he went? I think it was like fifth maybe that year. Like they, they thought maybe um, he was there. I don't know whether Tanner was, uh, no, it's not fair to say that about Tanner, but the rumor was he wasn't going to come to Saskatoon until um, right near the end, we talked to the agent and, uh, and actually the agent was the same agent as our coach at the time. So we were pretty confident then that when we put those two together, that it, it was a done deal. And, and some kids do say they're not going somewhere. And, um, yeah, so it hedges your bet a bit. But at first, our guys didn't think he was as good as he was. And I'll just give you an example. I had to bring our Manitoba scout at the U15 championships. Tanner was hurt, like, but he was still leading the off-ice stretching, and like he was a team captain. And I had to go get, because I knew he was hurt. But he took took the, um, the warm-up, played a couple shifts, but he was struggling. His team, Yale, ended up winning. And I had my Manitoba scout with me the whole time. And I said, just watch. 
So they're all throwing their gloves, helmets, and they go out and celebrate. And he can't really walk out on the ice because his leg injury or whatever it was. He starts putting all the sticks in the bag and packing up the bench until the trophy came out. Then he went out and got it. So I'm just like, there's the character of the kid. So. Yeah, that's awesome. And he's yeah, so you staple that onto the skill set and, uh, yeah. and you know, you, you know, you got a better chance. And that's the thing that I, when I'm talking with parents and players too, is it gets hard, right? I mean, it's hard. You, you know, you know, firsthand, you, you know, as a, as a scout watching these guys try and get there, you know, as a, as a hockey dad watching Brady trying to get there, that there's a lot of stuff that can go wrong, right? No matter how mm-hmm. skilled you are, no matter how talented you are. And when you need to give yourself every opportunity that you can right to, to to make it work and and that's what i love when i see these guys too and i'm telling them right you know like working on the people skills the personal development the character side all those things are are just as important if not more important in some circumstances than than the skill sets that you're working on on the ice because to like to, to tanner's point there like geez that kid gives a crap that kid's a team guy that kid has responsibility and uh and accountability and 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 that's going to allow him probably uh, a greater chance of, of making it, you know, so good for you for recognizing that. And I don't think everyone does and, and places quite a bit as, as quite high a value on it as, uh, as it sounds like you do. Well, we do like before the draft, we're not just interviewing the kids and mom and dad. And, um, you know, um, when we're talking to other, other kids, say a kid that played for rink, who's the toughest guy you had to play against or who's the best player who, who they think. And we're getting it right from the other kids. And, you know, most times they're they're on point. They know who the good players are. Even though it's a good player, a draftable player that we're talking to, they would s- suggest some guys that we're looking at. And it's nice to hear it from an unbiased opinion. Right. You, um, when it comes to identifying somebody, I mean, there's, the WHL draft is a little bit different because there's no real third party that's out there watching everybody, right? And the, the NHL is a different beast. There's all these different, uh, you know, polls and ratings, and so you you can you can judge your your rating against other people's and um, just see where you guys have. And I know guys rise and fall within an organization just because of what, as you already said, t- different teams value different things, right? But uh, but with the WHL, it does seem a little bit of the wild west, right? Because you might, you know, someone might have had Tanner you know, whatever, 15th, let's say. And then you guys are thinking, well, no, I think he's a, I think he's a five, you know, like how, yeah. how does, how do those discussions happen? And and I know you guys as a scouting community kind of relay information as well is uh, what goes on to these, to these ratings. Is it a, is it a organizational kind of specific need scenario or, or how do you guys do it? Um, some are like that. It's usually best player, um, but uh, you could have traded, um, like have holes on your right side defense and you might have to value a right defense, you know, more than another, but um, very seldom do you take two D or two forwards in a row with your first two picks, unless you have the room and think they're going to play because um, it's nice to get one of each and and a goalie every year. That has always been the philosophies of the teams that I've been. But um, as far as the ratings, I bet you if you, had everybody's list from last year, there'd be 22 different lists and the top 10 would be totally different. Like, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, and then, you know, you see lists come out from some of the crazy parents that have lists and programs and, um, elite prospects, Western elite uh, hockey. There's lots. Do we use those? 
uh, we might look at them, but uh, I've never seen them be accurate to the team. The, they usually get the top five right, maybe in a different order, but it, it depends on team needs, I think, who we're after. Just a short break from the conversation with Brian to share what's happening at Up My Hockey. Really exciting time right now at Up My Hockey with the ideation and execution of the UMH 68, which I already talked about in the introduction. Uh, that's a forefront on my mind right now about how to how to bring it back even stronger next year uh, to secure the dates, to make sure that the 2010s uh, are identified, uh, you know, try and get the strongest crop of 68 players uh, that there is here in, in British Columbia and uh, and get them attending this phenomenal event. Uh, there's already been people uh, outside of the event that want to be a part of it, whether it be corporate sponsorship, whether it be adding more value to the players. Uh, the, the, the focus will be to to also add a Thursday in next year right now is my idea and, and have parent workshops where the BCHL can come in and speak about their program, where the WHL can come in and send a representative and speak about their program, where we can get a, a player advisor representative to come in and talk about uh, you know the process of selecting an agent and when to do so and what to look for. And, and on the uh, other side of that, um, provide us very similar experience for the players in the developmental aspect. Talk to them about mindset training. Talk to them about how to take care of their of their physical body and, and, and about their standards that they're creating in their pra practice habits and, and get some testing done for them and have an experience for them that, uh, that they wouldn't have anywhere else. And so there's a lot of fun stuff that, that I want to bring out. Uh, also exploring doing it for the 2011s and for the uh, 2012s uh, potentially next year. And, and there's also been some t uh, talk about maybe doing it again at the 2009 level uh, prior to the draft, ideally, with uh, with a real strong cross-section of the private leagues, potentially even bringing in the... Um, the Pacific Northwest of the U.S. eligible players to have them all participate on one ice surface for a weekend and allow the scouts to get one look at them and to provide a, a phenomenal opportunity for these players uh, to showcase what they have. So yeah, the UMH 68, I think it's a it's just a great, great process, a great program that we started. Uh, so many phenomenal reviews. When, when parents are, are emailing you after to, to thank you, uh, for something that they paid money for. Uh, it's obviously tells me that what we did uh, was on point. You know, it was it was an experience first uh, type of program. Uh, hockey was obviously the backbone of everything, but it wasn't just playing spring hockey. It was about an experience for the players and an experience for the player uh, for the parents. And uh, and we try to weave that through every ounce and every detail that happened uh, over the weekend. So uh, definitely excited about what's to come there. Uh, you can check that out on upmyhockey.com uh, in the services section, UMH68. We're going to be releasing the dates. We're going to be releasing um, some, some videos and some reviews of the weekend. And uh, I'll also be talking about what it looks like for next year. And if you want to get on the watch list for that and be part of one of my UMH68 events, uh, that's where you can follow that. Uh, there's also some other exciting stuff happening with Up My Hockey. We're going to be releasing an app right away, the Up My Hockey app. Uh, it's going to be the first place uh, or first time that players uh, that either I work with or are working with or have taken the program or will take the program uh, can connect directly with the content of Up My Hockey. Uh, wanting to be better uh, from a mindset capacity, uh, to be able to prepare better for games, to be able to instill better practice habits, to be able to overcome adversity and challenges, to be able to um, bounce back from a mistake 
stake on the ice, to be able to navigate a dressing room and increase your leadership skills and all these amazing things that, that we teach here at Up My Hockey. There's now going to be a spot in your pocket on your phone uh, where the notifications will come in when a new lesson is released or a new course is released or or to look at past past podcasts. So that's super exciting. That's going to be happening here um, any, any day now where we're going to be releasing the Up My Hockey app. So be sure to watch for that. And, um, and also we have a couple peak potential programs starting here. July 11th, I believe is the next one. We're also running, running one at the beginning of August. So those are both available on the website. Perfect time of year to really dial in the mindset, to start thinking about what that looks like, uh, to have one of the best seasons you will ever have, uh, coming up in the fall. So, uh, start doing, start looking for that. Now, if you've ever entertained the idea of working on, on your mental game, uh, then now is the time, like I said, July or, or August, uh, is two great options for the guided mission. And yeah, just a lot of, a lot of great stuff. There's some new courses that are being created that are in the background here that I'm incubating some new stuff for the U13 and under level. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot, lot happening at Up My Hockey. So stay tuned to the website. Uh, you can also follow along at Up My Hockey, uh, parent group on Facebook. I mean, that group is growing leaps and bounds. We're over 2,200 members now. And, um, and obviously the podcast here is another great place. You can, you can, uh, follow what's happening here. So, uh, yeah, so that's what's happening with Up My Hockey. UMH 68, super excited about the app, super excited about it. And, of course, we're still continuing on with the Peak Potential missions and making a huge difference there for the players that are participating in that. And uh, now we will get you back to the conversation with Brian Reader. With the goalie position, you mentioned that Everett isn't isn't uh, isn't all in on big, you know, or like whatever size is, is not even you know a relevant factor. If you can play, you can play. The goalie position at the NHL level has gotten huge. Um, it's like the only position that actually has has grown in stature. Everyone else is getting smaller. Uh, WHL, it doesn't seem to be that way to me. Like, there's a lot of good players that are that are would be considered undersized as far as NHL drafts are concerned, but have very successful WHL careers. Uh, is there is there a methodology for you guys with Everett on the on the goalie scenario as far as size is concerned? Um, it is not a concern, but it's it's um, again, it's it's we're projecting when they're 18, 19, when they're they're. Um, in their bantam draft, so if the kids five, ten, eleven, nine, something like that, that doesn't doesn't rule them out as a potential draft. Obviously, if he's six foot two and he's fourteen and he's a good goalie, he might go to the top of some people's list. But um, Mike, our associate GM, is a, a old goalie and he's a small guy, so he has a soft spot for the small goalies. So. He's been known to take a smaller goalie all the time, and they seem to work out. But, yeah, yeah. size, um, if you're thinking of NHL, yeah, they are all like – like you look at Milich for Seattle this year, had a great run, great Western League career, was passed over, and I think this is the third draft, so he might get drafted this year. But he led Seattle to the Memorial Cup, and, and uh, nobody's really given him a sniff, so – um, I'm sure he deserves a chance now with his play, in the, especially in this playoff run here. So yeah, has- I mean that uh, it does break my heart just on my on in my own house uh, to hear to hear like or to watch it really because I have a uh, my middle son is a goalie and right now he hasn't necessarily grown and he's on the he's on the smaller side of things, but. Uh, <laughs> But he can play. You know what I mean? He can yeah. definitely play and he can stop pucks. He's super athletic and he's massively competitive. And and it just seems like in some in some areas, like he's just not even given an opportunity because as soon as he steps on the ice, he's just labeled too small, you know? And um, 
And so, yeah, but what, I, I just hope that there's uh, that there remains uh, the guys like Mike Fraser out there that that keep the spot. <laughs> and obviously, you have to stop the puck. But if you can stop the puck, I just think it's interesting that it's like a you know a, a reason to potentially not even look at somebody. Uh, but, I don't think we rule anybody out just on size. Until we, you know, if, if he looks athletic and can stop the puck, we'll be watching him again, and we will see them a lot. And you know, he will stand on his head one game, and we're going. Well, how big is dad? How big is mom? And then, you know, and you've got decent size, so he's not going to remain that size, I don't think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as far as as far as you and watching these things, and, you know, maybe we can touch actually on the UMH. We didn't, I didn't really touch on it at all, but so this is, for, for everyone listening, this is a week after uh, a new tournament that, that I hosted called the UMH 68, and, and uh, the idea behind it, the ideation was to bring the top players in British Columbia together um, at the 09 level this year. So it would be like they just finished their first first year of Bantam and and uh, and bring in the players from the private or unsanctioned leagues as well, which was one of the things that I thought was important because BC Hockey just isn't able to do it with their rules and, and the private leagues aren't able to do it with their rules to bring in the BC Hockey players. So it takes kind of a third party like me to bring these guys together. Uh from a scouting perspective, I, I would assume that would be of value, you know, if, if per se that we can get like the top 68 together and, and have all these players represented. How How is it for you to try and navigate a season uh, and judge players, you know, that are at the CHL level or they're playing uh, major Bantam in, in BC hockey or they're maybe playing double A somewhere because that's all that's available to them or the privates? Uh, is, is it a bit of a struggle trying to get eyes on everybody? Uh, it is like my, like I told you, my territory is Manitoba West and I can go as far south as Dallas. So it's, uh, um, we do have one American scout and we try to see the American kids as much as we can. And then, um, the JPHL is out in a new element with, with lots of, uh, showcases and, uh, it is hard to get to them all. The event like yours, like my first impression was these kids, just watching them, they were there to play, and they were there. Look, whoever invited them did a good job because it, they they were keen and they they hustled, and they obviously all want to be players. So, um, the I don't know the timing. Maybe some of the scouts have put their clipboards away for the for the winter, but to get that group together at any point during the season would be good because they're all in one spot and would save me a, a trip to uh, Smithers or something, you know, like, right, right. Um, is it, is that one of the challenges of the JPHL right now is like, cause th there was definitely good players there last year. You mean, and I, and I was showcasing some of them with, with my tournament. Um, but, but I would assume maybe there's the equivalent of like trying to, if you're an NHL scout like trying to value a player that's playing in the bchl versus a whl right and how would that bchl player perform at the whl level because i think the from what i saw i think the depth of the jphl maybe isn't quite what the chl uh is is that uh is that one of the challenges i guess to uh, to try and figure out where this player would actually sit yeah that's fair because um it's not watered down it just doesn't have the high you know might have a one or two high-end guys on every team. It's not as full of a roster as maybe the the school programs, but um, it's an affordable, more affordable option for a lot of, you know, if you don't have money now, it doesn't seem like you can play. Like, I don't know how I would have done it. Like, you know, 
Um, it's uh, we do have to see those players. We do have to. Uh, it puts us in a bit of a pickle if you draft them because we can't affiliate them. Like they can't come up mm. until the following year after they've left that league, is my understanding. But kids got to play somewhere, and and um, I went to as many as those showcases as I could, and I know our staff did. I think it's going to get better as as it grows. Like they've they expanded in a hurry and had a lot of divisions, but I I think there's going to be. Uh, I know I'm hearing the Seattle owner owns the league, so he's drafted quite a few of the top-end players out of there. So um, it is a future source of talent for the Western Hockey League, for sure. And then I think, you know, just even hearing what you say, I mean, that's one thing that that I echo is the availability to play. I mean, like the, the meaning, like the more options, more options is good, I think, for the player and for the families uh, because, you know, not everybody has the same the same means. Uh so I think that is a good thing. It's a bad thing, I think, for the players because you don't know where all the best players are, you know, and you don't have to be, you don't have the ability to kind of uh, have that competitive idea. I remember when we were playing, and I went to Alberta to play in that into that AAA major Bantam league. Like every best player was there. You know, I mean, there there was nowhere else to play. So that was fun as a player to know that you're around all the best guys. Um, so I think that's kind of a, a setback. But as far as the uh, the availability and access to hockey, like. Boy, like we have a couple players this year uh, that could have graduated from the AA program where Hudson played last year, right? This North Zone program, good league, very affordable league, um, and it's good talent. Uh, but a lot of players didn't move on just because like the next step is like from $3,000 the AA to like $20,000. Like if you go to Major Bantam and 30000 if you go to a CSSHL school. So it's tough for families, right? And, and, and I think that... Uh, uh, I, I just hope that those players still have access to, you know, being seen, access to being drafted. And uh, and to your point, it's tough because you have to be so many places at once. But I, I, I know there's pr there's probably a PC that wants to see these guys and make sure they get their look, too. Uh, absolutely. Like, uh, you know, in all honesty, the days of me going to Langley or Surrey or North Van or Coquitlam to see the minor hockey program, Semiamu, are limited to if they're in a tournament at Christmas time or whatever. I just can't justify the time, even though there's players there. And then I'm always kicking myself at the end of the year and somebody gets drafted out of those places. And then the bosses are going, why didn't you see these guys? Well, when they played, I was in Edmonton or when they, you know, there's a chance for me to see them, you know, we need another more help in the lower mainland or we need, yeah. And, you know, some of our scouts are, are coaching as well. So that helps cover off some of the age groups. But um, you just can't be everywhere. And just because you're playing in a um, Pacific Coast or Okanagan minor hockey or even up in Prince George minor hockey, not in the, in the uh, Cougars affiliation, major midget and all that, doesn't mean you can't be a player and doesn't mean you're not a player. So. Right. It's our mistakes if we miss them, but we try to get them all. With with saying that, um, and to those out there, you know, listening, there's so much emphasis on the Bantam draft. And I know my son is is right there, is right there with it. So um this is a big deal for him, right? It's it's of the moment, it's right in front of his face. He's he's playing in the league where a lot of kids get drafted of, he's working his tail off every day, and and, and it's with this emphasis of, <laughs> of the draft, right? The, the, the draft, as you and I know, is the is just the draft, and it's one day in a moment in time. Uh, 
And which is why I think the league itself, meaning the WHL, is represented roughly every year with 30% undrafted players. Um, because, I mean, you can't see everyone. So is, is, there, a, is there a message to, to the players out there that, that aren't or won't get drafted or hadn't got drafted this year as far as uh, what their prospects are? Absolutely. Prove us wrong. Prove us wrong that, uh, you know, um, again, everybody's lists are diff different, but it's one day, one, one season. You can change so much, and I'm sure your son's even changed since the end of um, March or whenever they finished till now. And, again, our draft is focused on what they're going to be like at 17 or 18 or even 19, like, that's the, the Everett focus now is that how good is he going to be then? So um, is there, like you said, 30% undrafted? It might even be higher. And not getting your name called on the first Thursday in May is not the end of the world. Prove everybody wrong. You're, you're still going to get watched because if, if you're good enough to think you're going to get drafted, you're obviously going to be playing at a high level the following year. And personally, I have more success with listing kids and getting them on our roster than the kids that we draft. Because, I, you know, if I see a kid at 16, 17, and we have a hole in up front or on the back end, and we list them like he's coming to play. Like, right. Yeah, that would be the that would be the thing, right? Because there is however many rounds there is in the WHL draft, and 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 I'm sure the stats look very similar. That you're, you know, that the the top picks are are much more likely to play play than the you know the round sevens and eights kind of guy. And uh, but you're just looking for the best player at the end of the day, you know. And 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 usually the the first rounders and stuff do project, you know, to be in the lineup at 16, mm -hmm. 17. You know, if, if you're if you're getting it right. And then after that, it's like, yeah, who are the best 17 year olds available right now? And if they're not on your list and they're in camp, then you take that guy that's in camp, right? Absolutely. And uh, um, like right now, uh, I'm not sure where we are on the invites for camp, but it's filling up and we tell the kids, we're not inviting you just to, to uh, take a spot, like, uh, not take a spot. We want you to take a spot. We want you to make the team. But it's we're not just filling bodies in so we can play like, and um, they're pretty high intensity to get these free agents and and make it appealing for kids to want to come and play forever and and stay. Like we don't tell you to bring all your clothes and everything with you, but uh, we prepared mom and dad to leave them here for a week or two anyhow. So right. That's uh, that's fun. Do you find that the camp is still competitive in marketplace? Uh, meaning, like, and I'm comparing that to the BCHL, which I'm familiar with, with with Sam and Arm and how they do the commitments now and all this stuff. Like, it, it seems like there's like not many spots that are actually competed for at training camp, not like it used to be at least. But it, the WHL is a little bit different of a monster, right? Like, I think like that uh, that it is it is more traditional in the sense of you know show up and we're picking the team from from camp or at least the the spots that you know that are available. Yeah, for sure. I think there was two, maybe three that were not even, they were just late lists from spring tournaments or something that made the roster. And as you know, some veterans can become complacent. And if a kid a year younger comes in and is working harder than somebody, you know, it's always sad to see somebody dropped from the team or traded. But uh, they're it, it's based on who does what there. And, and there are, you know, there's, there's jobs is the wrong term, but positions 
available and veterans that pushes the competition at camp. So nobody's safe. <laughs> right. You mentioned, I, I wrote a couple of uh, just points here that I want to touch on you about, and you've, you've had it, you've said it a couple times now, the term cra crazy parents. Um, <laughs> I, 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 and I'm just because it's relevant to me because we just had Father's Day and I wrote this Father's Day post and and my dad might have been constituted as a crazy parent um, just in the fact of he he wasn't quiet right if things weren't going well at WHL level he would definitely you know let, let the GM know what he what he thought um, there was there was some issues kind of with that that I think stemmed down to me like between the coach that was coaching me and and uh, uh, from residue from my dad. Uh, how, how is, is, is there any type of, I don't know, advice to parents out there, like how to be helpful and supportive without being a problem, uh, that, that, that might, that might come through and, and help some people out there? Uh, I understand it is your child and that, and be there for your, your son, um, help him with the off ice stuff. Uh, for the most part, I think the coaches and GMs and trainers are good resources, sounding boards, um, teammates. Um, I don't like using the agent word, but the agents uh, seem to be more involved now than ever. But if the player was put on our roster or drafted or traded for, we want them. Like... Um, as I say all the time, they're great, all good players when we got there until the coaches screwed them up. But um, <laughs> the coaches don't want any hassle either. And I, I get most some of these kids were superstars at the level they came to, and now they're just entering in, and maybe they're on the fourth line or they're sitting two, three games in between or whatever. That's all part of the development too. And nobody likes to to sit guys out, but the coaches are there to win too. So. As far as the crazy parents, there's been a few that I've had some dealings with. It's over my head once they're at the at the team level, but they still phone and I go, well, phone phone the GM, leave the coach alone. Sometimes it's the same guy, but have your agent reach out or is it really that serious or how can we improve it? Just, you know, I can call, but I don't think people are there to screw over the kids and, you know, not have them develop. So, right. It's there, not a race. Yeah, sure. I, I, I guess my my thought is is there, and, and I, I hear it in minor hockey even, right? Like when they're picking a minor hockey team, like that, oh, so-and-so's parents, like you may not want, you know, maybe you don't want that kid, right? And and so for me, I try and keep that noise out of it and, and I try and let the kid, you know, be the kid uh, and, and don't attach him to the parent. But there's some, there's just social you know, there's social consequences sometimes, right? To your point, like, I mean, if, if, if you hear there's going to be a problem, um, maybe you don't want to step in there. Maybe you're not quite as in love with the player then as you might be otherwise, you know? Is there a message that you could say to parents? Like, have you seen it firsthand where a parent has actually hurt the player's uh, either draft ranking or their prospects of, uh, of an opportunity? Absolutely. Um, that's why when I addressed your parents the other day, I said... Uh, um, feel free to just come say hi because I may have heard that you're a nut job or crazy and if I you know you're Jimmy Smith's dad oh you're not not what I expected at all and then we know who you are in the crowd and then if you are a bit of a jackass we can go oh, okay 
Like some are out of control that we just would not want to. The ones screaming at the referees, the ones screaming at the coaches. And um, yeah, no, it, it's, we like to know who mom and dad are. And, and I'm not being shy about it. We not want to see how big the parents are. Um, brothers and sisters, all that jazz. Did You know, when we do phone interviews, when I was in Swift Current, I'd go, you know, most people didn't even know where it was. And they'd go, oh, i got grandparents that live there. It'd be great to play there. You know, unless you talk to somebody, um, you'll never know that. So, <laughs> come, excuse me, saying hi to the scout at the a rink and just um, actually I had a bunch come over after your opening ceremonies there. Hi, hi, hi. And I was a little overwhelmed. But there was some parents of kids that I drafted with Saskatoon. But, right. Uh, yeah, no, we we do watch who's who for sure. Yeah, well, yeah, and it's good to know. And I just want to get that message out there because sometimes, you know, it's coming from a good place. Like I, that's one thing I recognize, even with with my dad. Like, shit, he I mean, he loved me, he cared about me, he 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 saw something maybe that somebody else wasn't seeing at the time, or whatever the case may be. So like the the intention was good, but sometimes that intention, you know, turns into be a negative, right? And you're and you're actually hurting your kid. So I just. Uh, I always tell parents, you know, just give some pause, right? Allow yourself that space. The 24-hour rule is a great one to follow, you know, like to go home and to sleep on. It's never as bad as you think it is the next day. And and um, and really just mean even what I teach my, my players, Brian, is like that ability to self-assess, like to be able to look yourself in the mirror and to really understand what – what your actions look like to somebody else as well as yourself. Like, I don't think parents are great at that a lot of times, you know, to your point, like yelling and screaming at a, at a referee from the stands. Like that doesn't like, that's not classy. There's not much integrity there. You know, like there's, there's some things that I'm sure if they could watch themselves on camera that they probably have chosen otherwise, but they just don't have the, uh, the ability to do it in the moment. Right. So um, yeah. So the message I guess for me is it just, support your kid, you know, support your kid to be the best that they can be, allow them to fall sometimes, you know, and I think that's where, where it is now a lot is that nobody wants anyone to fail anymore. And we're trying to protect them from that. And they don't really know how to, how to stand back up and dust themselves off. So uh, that's, uh, that's, I guess, my, my small parenting advice. Uh, do, do you see that as well with, with the players though? Like the kind of like a little bit of the protectionism, a little bit of the bubble sort of scenario that we don't want anything to go wrong ever for our guys. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, very sheltered, very controlled. Uh, I took a team to Ottawa once <laughs> and we were there and it was a, a test rank for Hockey Canada. We didn't know that, but normal stands, but glass floor to ceiling behind the benches. No sound from the parents. None. Like you could see them all, but nothing. <laughs> and I yelled dump and change like I normally did or whatever. And a referee came over and says, you don't have to yell in here. Like, <laughs> it was bizarre. All you could hear was the kids skating and talking to each other. And I'm looking back. I mean, we were getting hammered, like eight nothing or something. Parents are going crazy, but nobody could hear it. It was awesome. <laughs> it was the fun weirdest thing. Like they were in a fish tank. Yeah. Well, you know what, actually, I mean, to your point, uh, when COVID was on and parents weren't allowed in the ranks, it was, there was no drama. Like there was so little drama and it's amazing how much drama is created by the parents who think that they're the ones who aren't, you know, or little Johnny this, or, I mean, the kids figure it out, you know, and the coaches can figure it out with the kids. And 
uh, it was kind of nice going to practice and, you know, whatever we could do there during that time and, and just have it be about the kids, you know, and um, so I could totally see all that would be a refresher for you standing behind the bench there. It's funny. I had parents ask me for business cards like crazy during COVID until I caught on and they were using them to get into the rinks. <laughs> so like I go to check in, they go, you're already here. I go, no. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, parents will do what they can eh, to get in there. I'm going to take a short break just to give you a big thanks. So thanks for being with me. Thanks for either following along from the beginning or just participating now and and uh, and checking out what we have here at My Hockey in the podcast. And also for being patient with me. You know, I mean, one of the things with, with the podcast is sometimes I'm super consistent. Sometimes there's a break in the action. And, and uh, I know that can get kind of frustrating for listeners because if you're ex- expecting a new, a new podcast and there's not one released, um, I appreciate you coming back and listening when I do release one. It's just, uh, in all honesty, it's just, it, it's, it's hard. It's, it, it's hard with everything that I have on the go, whether it be on ice uh, trainings or whether it be my spring programs or whether it be my, uh, my private client stuff or new content creation or, you know, I mean, the, the list kind of goes on and on and on and the podcast itself really takes pretty much a full day out of my week. And, and sometimes that full day out of the week, uh, I, I need it, you know, I need it for something else. So, um, I realize how important the podcast is. I do value it. I do value you guys listening to it, uh, and the feedback that I get for it and, and the content that really it gives me outside of just the podcast itself. But, um, just please recognize and, and, uh, and continue with your patience of, of understanding that, uh, there is a lot of balls in the air on a on a weekly basis for me, and uh, and even with my my new help here uh, and building my team, there, there's still so many things to do that uh, the podcast can become hard to to produce and to create. But uh, yeah, I, I am striving for for good guests. I am striving for uh, for at least a kind of a buy weekly type uh type episode release so if i can get an episode out every two weeks i think that would be a good frequency for me not to feel overwhelmed and uh and still pretty continue to provide some really awesome content and conversations here for the podcast so thanks again for the reviews uh, and for those of you who haven't reviewed please do on on itunes uh please continue to share uh what's happening here at up my hockey and and to grow the brand uh it, it seems to really have uh, have hit some momentum here recently in you know 2022 2023 with uh with a lot of um, new new listeners and a lot of new faces and, and a lot of new people checking it out. So thank you for that, for those of you who've been a part of that growth. And uh, and yeah, uh, the reviews are always welcome. So thank you so much for this. I would be doing us a disservice probably if I didn't bring up Brady. So Brady is uh, is Brian's son. So he, And you got the, your, your sport and you're repping the puck support I see there. on. Uh, your he'd screen. be all over me if I didn't. So Yeah, which is awesome. So great, great to do that. Um, and he was a past guest on my pod on my podcast, and and Brady was a heck of a player. Just kind of to give the little bit of background for people who aren't familiar, uh, grew up uh, Lower Mainland was uh, was a WHL player. Ended up uh, getting uh, drafted, I believe, by Tampa and going to Tampa's camp, and then signed, signed, signed? By. yeah, okay, yeah. signed by Tampa, and then had his own like kind of his demons showed up by the sounds of it, and you know he he was there were some painkiller issues and and ended up being on the streets of Hastings and, you know, in jail and, and anyways, now doing some really great things and still, still fighting through and working through some of his stuff that just doesn't go away uh, overnight, but is now making a real positive difference in the lives of a, of a lot of kids uh, with his story and being an inspiration to a lot of people. Uh, with, with that, 
you know, with that precursor there and you being a hockey scout and a hockey dad, how how was that? Uh, is any lessons learned for you personally uh, on on that whole road with, with Brady and what he went through? I guess I should have recognized the signs before, like um, um, he didn't come out and say he was sexually abused at age five. Like I grew up, uh, he grew up. Him and his sister grew up with me as a single dad. Um, but he went on vacation with his mom and somebody in the family back when he was five or six, I guess. But he didn't tell me this till he was not long ago. So, you know, yeah. 25 years ago it happened. So there were some signs um, when he was first away in Swift Current, he was homesick and um, they did do some tests and he had some bipolar issues and they got him on some meds and he was fine. Um, played through, then got homesick for a girlfriend and came back and played in the BC Junior League for one year. And I thought that was weird, but um, I didn't realize that he was given a bunch of cash from the team to come play. So that's another issue. Mm -hmm. So he was home with some of his other friends and um, I guess he has experimented a little bit with different types of drugs. And we tried to rein him in a bit, but then he went back and played and he seemed good for his 20-year-old uh, year and ended up in Kelowna and they had a good run. And then he went to the East Coast League when his season was over and Tampa signed him to American League deal. So he went went there. And as he's alluded to on his podcast, some of the guys in the, there that he knew from playing in the Western League or against and um, began to party in, in Norfolk, Virginia, and he, I don't think he became addicted then, but um, it's back when the time when the American League team was loaded with millionaires, and millionaires doesn't seem like such a big deal now, but back then it was, and they said, you can stay here and play every fifth game, but we got to play these guys to get traded. So he went back to Victoria in the East Coast League when he's still on American League deal, so it's a pretty good deal for him because um, they provide housing and all that on the East Coast. But um, they have a limited roster, and he hurt his knee, and he wanted to keep playing and keep playing. The painkillers were handed out like candy, and that ended up being Oxycontin. And uh, one thing led to another, and as fast as you can say your name, he was from the top of the world to the bottom of the world. And... Uh, you know, we, we just couldn't rein him in, and he ended up on the streets, like he said. Um, got into some petty crime. Uh, had to go to, um, I mean, he overdosed, I think it's eight or nine times. There were some suicide attempts. Um, the list is endless, and I mean, I hear it every day from different people that, you know, there's uh, lots of stories on him on Sportsnet, and um, the province did a story on him. He's rebounded. He, um, he's in Ontario because I had to put him on a plane to Ontario because his girlfriend at the time, their family had a place there, and he just had to get out of here. So yeah. he's back there now. There were some other issues there, um, but he's bounced back. He's started this Puck Support Foundation um, that's for battling, uh, helping people with uh, addiction and mental health issues. And on his own personal note, he's back coaching. 
He used to work at a Puckmasters franchise out here, if anybody remembers what those were. He's kind of started his own out there in Muskoka, Ontario. It's going crazy. And last summer, he uh, ran into Sam Gagne, um, and he asked him to come push pucks around for all the pros. And he's been invited back now. Sam has bought Muskoka Hockey, and Brady's going to run Muskoka Minor Hockey for him, all the, the skills and that. But more importantly to him, he's just jacked because he's doing the pro skates, and they start, I think, Monday. And he's become good friends with Bo Horvat. Uh, Sam Gagne, there's a whole list, John Tavares, it just goes on. He sent me the list yesterday, and it, so he's he's bounced back. He's still got things to do, but uh, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, what a, I mean, redemption, right? I mean, second chances, third chances sometimes, and uh, who knows how many chances some guys want or need or, or, or get even. I know Brady's talked about that. You mean the uh on his on his good days like how grateful he is i mean and 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 on his bad days how guilty he feels because of all the chances that he's kind of gotten you know but um I, i'm i'm sure you're proud of him you know in in the way that a dad can be to you know for, for the bounce back and to see the struggles and and to see to see the redemption and the rise and you know and that he's still going through it but you know doing the best that he can and i think that's you know that's that's all we can do i think you know as 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 adults and and uh and he's definitely doing that. I, I I think the lesson for me from his story was, uh, which is why I thought of you too, and and you know just being around the game and whether you're a coach or a dad or or a teammate, uh, is just trying to open up the doors. And and that is one thing that I know Brady is a spokesperson for of of like being able to share and and being able to talk. You know, because a lot of these things we just manifest in ourselves and, and we don't feel anyone cares or we don't want to share or we feel that no one wants to hear or we're too, we, if, if we're tough, then we shouldn't, we, we shouldn't be saying anything or like whatever these ideas are that we have about communication. I just, I don't know. That's one of the things that I try to unpack as far as a hockey player is concerned and, and saying that we play a tough sport for sure. Uh, it's one of the, it's one of the last places kind of in our modern society where you can go out there and, you know, and, and, be super masculine, right? For lack of a better word, it's a physical game. There's 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 courage that's involved. You know, you have to be tough. Uh, it's actually an advantage. You know, the, the 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 more gritty you can be, and but within all that armor, you know, there's still a human being underneath there, right? There's still somebody that that is a person that has issues that is going to feel sad and is going to get depressed and all this stuff. And I think that me, I can relate to him in that sense because in the mid '90s, like there, there felt like there was no room to be anything but tough right like you had to be tough and i think that that's not true like i think that there is there is room um as long as we're able to give players the 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 ability and the tools to deal with it right and the resources so for me that's what i take away from brady's story is that i think the, the more that he's now been able to communicate the more that he's been able to willing to get help you know willing that's the key word right sometimes there's help there and that you don't want it um the better that things have gotten for him so I don't know. Do you, do you agree with that? The, the ability for us as men to be able to communicate or young boys who are, who are striving to be able to find some of these safe havens of, of places uh, to, to, to talk about what's going on is, is beneficial? Uh, absolutely, because, you know, you, you're scared in the dressing room to, to say anything because you may appear weak or whatever. But other people in the dressing room are maybe experiencing the same thing and sharing your your feelings and concerns with somebody else may help them and help you so 
Yeah, I, I, I think we have to be better listeners and be better observers. And, you know, people are acting a, a different or strange way. There must be a reason why. And we should make note of that. And um, like his first uh, thing when he started puck support was uh, all the overdoses he started doing. And there's hundreds of hockey players that have overdosed and died and suicides and you know, and that really hit home with him because he could have overdosed and died, and he did try suicide a few times. So um, that is, his motto now is it's it's okay to not be okay and make sure you talk to somebody. So um, there's lots of people, lots of numbers, lots of websites. You can call him. He gets hundreds of calls every day, and he directs people to counselors or whatever or just shoots the shit with them about, hey, you're a hockey player and, oh, well, you're worried that they're they're bullying you or whatever. Well, let's get to the bottom of that. So, right. Yeah, and what a responsibility for him. I, I know that, uh, you know, that that's part of the, of, I mean, what, what he's doing and his message. I mean, he, he now becomes the sounding board for people that are in similar scenarios. Uh, yet he's the first one to admit is like, I'm not really here to solve anyone's mm -hmm. problems. I mean, I'm not a therapist or a counselor or anything else. I just... I have first person experience and, and I'm saying, Hey, talk to somebody. So a lot of times I know he gets, he gets like everyone's story and he gets, you know, and, and I think that there's probably, uh, he feels some responsibility to try and help with that, which is really unfair for him. You know, yeah. that's not, that's not what he is, but it is, it is kind of where he's put himself. And, and I guess as long as that's the first step for some of these people, and, and I know that he is making a difference with that. Like, I mean, he's, he's doing the right things there. It's, uh, it's such a, I, I, I notice a, a parallel with what I do with my mindset program. And it's not it for me that the, there's, there's guys that come into this program for, for different things, right? One are just, they're, they're super curious about, you know, how to become their best. Like there's not like there's anything necessarily wrong or any challenges that they have, but they've never really explored mindset training. And so those, those, there's a lot of high performers that come in. And then there's also some kids that, yeah, I mean, they're having a hard time with confidence or they, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're beating themselves up too bad over making mistakes and they turn into playing tentative or, you know, wh whatever kind of the, the reasons people show up uh, for the program. But when we get them inside this group, like, in, and the most popular mission that, that I have with my program is called the guided mission. And so everyone that's involved gets on a coaching call with me at the end of the week, uh, each week has its own theme and we just talk about the material. Right. And so there could be a 12 year old in the group and there could be a 19 year old in the group and, and they get to hear from each other about what, uh, about what's going on and, and, and how they, how they digested it and how they're applying it. And there is so much value in that to your point, like, because, now these things that they would probably have never talked about, and it's not like it's these grave weaknesses either. It's just like being honest, right? It's And it's being asked the questions to be honest. Now all of a sudden there's this culture of like, okay, like we're I'm not the only one. Like we're in this together. I can learn from X and he can learn from me. And the older kids can can uh, can kind of be mentors for the younger kids and the younger kids can look up to the older kids. And and I just think that that, that area, that space, that environment that is created uh, – is like one of the most beneficial things about the whole idea is because it unpacks that idea of what a hockey player is, right? And and I think that the the trueness and the realness and the rawness of that is is where is where a lot of the values lie. Yeah, we can give kids tools, right? And we can give kids tips and strategies and and they can apply them. But when they know that it's not just them and there's not necessarily anything wrong with them uh, at all, uh, it's just part of being being human that uh, 
that's where I see the big smiles. And for me, it's like, oh yeah, we got this right. You know, this is working out right. That these kids feel more empowered. They feel more, uh, you know, included uh, and 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 not and not isolated. And um, and I think Brady would 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 echo that. That's that's a pretty valuable piece. Yeah, you're not alone. That's that's key. Yeah. Yeah. And, but we oftentimes we really do think like we are. It's uh, we, we do it to ourselves sometimes. So, yeah. Well, Brian, I, I, I we've been on oh, an hour almost exactly. You've been you've been fantastic. I really appreciate your volunteering. And, and again, I know I, I thank you in person, but I'll thank you here as well. Like your involvement there at the UMH. There was a lot of parents that came up and, uh, you know, said what a great message that was from yourself and Mike Barnett that were able to speak there and and really made that event. uh you know, started off as being special and we just continued it throughout the week. And, and that's really kind of my, my vision for that is that, I mean, even to staple on another day and, and to have like some parent sessions associated with that, where we can educate parents on how to support their kids and what the leagues are all about. And we can also educate the, the players and, and get them ready for what to expect and how to, and how to help themselves and not just make it uh, about the hockey on the ice. You know, that's really what my hockey is. It's like the holistic development of the athlete. I just don't think there's enough out there that really captures that. So, I mean, for you and your messaging there at the beginning, I think you really, uh, you really encaptured what it is that I wanted it to be about. And it was kind of ironic because we never had any discussion at all about what you were going to say. Uh, but I was like, oh my gosh, that's perfect. So that's exactly what I'm all about. So thanks for hitting the nail on the head with that. And you're always welcome back anytime. And we'll I'll be back next year for, for sure. Awesome. Great. That's great to hear. Uh, yeah, I'll have a full 12 months to prepare. And I mean, the other thing is, is that I think next year, obviously, with being able to uh, to get it out there a heck of a lot earlier and invite kids a lot earlier, that uh, there'll even be a higher, higher level of play. And, and uh, to your point, though, taking nothing away from the kids that were there this year. No, it was, it was good. Fantastic hockey. They, they, they did a They did a great job. Super competitive. I got some new so. kids to watch because of it. So. Oh, awesome. Well, that's great. Great to hear. Um, so yeah, so thank you again. Enjoy the rest of your summer. I'm sure we'll bump, but we'll, we'll, we'll rub yeah, shoulders we'll here at some point. And, uh, and yeah, we'll be in touch. So thanks so much, Brian. All right. Thank you. All right. That wraps up another episode of Up My Hockey. Thank you for sticking around to the end and listening to the conversation with Brian Liebold, uh, a tenured man within the game, to say the least, and uh, has seen a lot of players come through and, and has supported a lot of players. And, and by his comments there that, you know, he's receiving phone calls after the fact uh, from players thanking him, you know that he's making uh, a difference, not, not only in helping players, WHL teams that, you know, have winning successful organizations, but he's also making an imprint on the lives of those players that he's he's drafting by by building those relationships and uh and yeah you know being accountable and available on the human side and and as you know from from my messaging and for what i think is is important i think that is how you make the biggest in 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 impact how you've influenced the most is by taking the time to get to know people to want to know people to ask questions uh hear about them and and just to try and help you i mean just really having that intention of being helpful of being supportive and uh and when we do that we make hockey a better place and and i am all for hockey being the best place that it can be and i am all for the ideation that a hockey player whether it be the person playing the game uh man or woman or whether it be the parent involved in the game or the coach involved in the game that we should all be amazing examples of humanity and we should be leaders in our community and we should be helpful to, to those around us and we should be gracious and classy and and uh, all these things that I value in, in, in being a man and, and, uh, and I want that to be exemplified and magnified 
and hockey players. So uh, UMH 68 is doing that, that, that new developmental weekend that I created. Guys like Brian Levold are doing that, trying to promote uh, players within the game and the game itself. And, and Up My Hockey is definitely trying to do that too. You know, elevate, elevate what we are uh, about as, as hockey people and, and to really place our, our sport at the you know at the echelon of what it of what it means and I and I think those that have been come before us have done a great job of it uh, you talk to anyone that works in a in a taxi cab or in a restaurant in in, uh, in a city that houses all the the major uh, sports franchises and and to a to a man or a woman you will hear that that hockey players are, are, are generally the most easygoing, easy to be around, uh, you know, gracious, well-mannered professionals that, that they have through that door. And I think that if we can continue on with that and even grow it and expand it even more to really push and promote the idea of character and, and humanity, that uh, not only are we going to have, you know, much stronger humans and well-equipped humans, but we're going to have better hockey players at the end of the day too. And I, I know those intangibles go a long way. So um, thank you, Brian, for being you. Thanks, thanks for elevating our sport. And uh, for those of you who stuck around to listen, really appreciate you. And until next time, play hard. Keep your head up. <laughs>